you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We've made it all the way to chapter 4 here. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, there was a, a young American engineer who was sent to Ireland by his company uh, to work in an uh, electronics plant. And it was a two-year commitment that he wasn't all that excited about uh, because uh, he was engaged to be married, but it paid well, and it was would be enough to earn uh, enough money to pay for part of the wedding and to, uh, with his wife who kept her job in Nashville, to put down money on a home. So they talked often. This was before the uh, FaceTime and before Zoom, but they were lonely, and uh, she expressed some doubts about their relationship after some months. And he said that uh, he, he was being honest with her and said he was tempted because there were all these beautiful Irish lasses. And so a couple weeks later, he got a package in the mail, and the package was a harmonica. And it had this note, I'm sending you this harmonica so you can learn to play it and keep your mind off those Irish girls. <laughs> so he wrote her back and said, thank you for the harmonica. I am learning and practicing every night and thinking only of you. At the end of the two years, uh, the engineer came back to their home in Tennessee, and his girlfriend and, and his family, her family, were there at the airport to meet him, and he went to kiss her hello, and she held up her hand. And she, she said, um, I know you said you practice that harmonica all the time, and we're thinking only of me. I'd like to hear a tune. So we as Christians need to be like this guy's girlfriend when it comes to having a healthy skepticism about the teachings we listen to, whether they are on podcasts or on the television or however we listen to them. We need to scrutinize everything we hear by scripture. So how's your harmonica playing? Uh, do you listen to any and all teachers and just take it all in? Or do you search the scriptures to see if what they're saying jives with what God says? So the verses we're going to look at this morning talk about the how and why uh, we should be on our guard. Uh, this country and our world is hanging on by a thread. And I think we've been saying that for a long time. Uh, we're not unique. In the 1860s during the American Civil War, do you think people were saying that? Do you think they were saying that during the early 1900s in the First World War or during the 1940s in the Second World War or during the 1960s in Vietnam and all the drugs and the free living, so quote-unquote, that was going on? And then today, but we're not a lot different, I don't think. So if you want to get technical, the world has been in a very bad way since the day that Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And in fact, it was so bad, God decided to destroy the world except for Adam and his family and the animals. We're talking about the Antichrist from Genesis 3. We see him in the serpent in the garden. And all through scripture, we see this, this Antichrist, Satan, at work. You know, people are so confused today, um, trying to normalize men marrying men and women marrying women. 
and we have a Supreme Court justice that can't even define a woman. And this is not God's design for us. This is not God's design for the world. I keep reading and hearing about how people feel more and more isolated, which makes the church, which makes this family all the more important. And we we don't know how to communicate because we change vocabulary and we have a million pronouns to describe me. It's just ridiculous. And if there's no communication, then there's no good community. There's a reason those two words are linked together. It's people who are mixed up, not God. And you have this on your outline. God is not the author of confusion, as it says in 1 Corinthians 14. So how do we as Christians navigate this brokenness? How do we clarify what's true and what's false? How do we filter out deception and get to the truth? Well, in these verses, John gives us some principles that will help us find the clarity that we so badly need. So let's read our passage, 1 John 4, verses 1 to 6. Follow along in your Bibles. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is God's word. So how are we to discern if what we're hearing is from God or is not from God? You know, we can all be pretty naive sometimes, me included. Um, It's like a a guy I heard who was walking by a, a, a blind guy on the street, and he had a sign up and said, please help me, I'm blind, and he put something in. Uh, to the hat or whatever, and he turned back and happened to see the blind guy looking into the hat to see how much he'd given. And he said, hey, wait a second, you're not blind. And the blind guy said, wow, the blind guy's on vacation, but I'm sitting in for him here. <laughs> you know, we, we all want to help out people who are hurting. I could see myself doing something like that. Um, but we all need a healthy dose of discernment because when it comes to issues of faith, we have a lot more to lose than whatever that guy put in that hat. In verse 1, John returns to a theme that he's already introduced, and that is the contrast between truth and error, between deceiving antichrists and trustworthy teachers. And John focuses on the responsibility, not of the teachers, but of the listeners. It's those, who, uh, those of us who are hearing who need to be responsible. It's our responsibility as listeners, as hearers, to separate truth from error. 
And John begins with dear friends. He's writing to believers, the dear friends, beloved in some translations. So he's their former pastor. He is their father in the faith. And he's giving them loving advice. And he gives two commands, one negative and one positive. The negative is do not believe every spirit. And the positive is test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So spirit here is talking about the person is the person inspired by the spirit of truth or by the spirit of error. And so on your outline, John's first command is essentially don't be gullible. When it comes to spiritual teaching, don't be gullible. The fact is every human teacher, whether true or false, is motivated and empowered by something that is often hidden behind the scenes. It's their worldview. We can ask that question. What is their worldview? Maybe it's a spirit of truth and love and holiness. Maybe it's a spirit of falsehood and self-interest and unholiness. Uh, Teachers may not even know that they're under the influence or not recognize that they're under that influence of what could be a satanic deception. And we know from 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan and those who serve him can indeed deceive us. They appear as angels of light. They're attractive to us on some level. And this leads us to the second positive command to to test the spirits of the teachers to see whether they're from God. Think of a, a guard dog like a Doberman Pinscher. Uh, who has his, uh, he's, he's always on, on lookout for somebody that's invading his territory. And as soon as he catches a movement, as soon as he hears anything, his pointy ears pop up and, and he fixes his eyes on the source. And if there's a threat, that watchdog will leap into action and defend its territory. So we need to be that alert and, and we need to be equipped to discern between truth and error, especially in relation to the doctrines of the Christian faith, which means we need to understand what the doctrines of the Christian faith are, which we talk about basically every Sunday, which we, you can easily read about in, in some good books. If you want a good book of theology to read the, about the basic doctrines, uh, come and talk to me, text me. I'll send you a book. I've got some you can borrow from my library. Uh, but you don't go by how large the crowd is. You don't go by, you're not impressed by titles or by degrees or letters after names. Our standard has to be the word of God. That's our standard. The gospel of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are basic doctrines that we believe and the essential truths of the historic Christian faith. Maybe the key verse this morning is the way Luke describes those who heard the gospel in the city of Berea versus Thessalonica, 40, 45 miles away. When he says this, it's, it's on your, the reference is on your outline. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. That's all good. But here's what they did differently than, the Thessalonica, than those in Thessalonica. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Luke intends that as a huge compliment to the Bereans. But we should follow the example of the Bereans and carefully cross-check anything we hear from the Bible is see if it jives with the rest of Scripture. God has given us this wonderful tool, his word, 
through which we can filter everything we see and hear. Everything. It doesn't matter if people say, well, I have a word from God. In fact, when someone says that, your Doberman pincher ears should perk up really high. And because uh, if it doesn't line up with God's word, and this is on your outline, if it doesn't line up with his word, then it's not the truth. The Bereans knew that. They had confidence in the word of God. They had this assurance because they were children of God. And if we are of the family of God, it's the same for us. And John says later in verses, says this later in verses four to six that we'll look at in just a bit. But we can't ignore common sense. We can't ignore the truth of scripture. And knowing God's word will help protect us from being defrauded and protect us from being tricked. That's why I've encouraged you before and I will continue to encourage you to memorize God's word. Somebody came up to me recently that has been doing that uh, in the recent past and said what a difference, what a huge difference it makes in their life. And, and it does. You know that if you've memorized God's word, please do that. Uh, just start with the verses that you know and love. Start there. Uh, review it with the verse reference before and after, and that will help cement the address in your mind. But the word test here is to examine or to scrutinize something that's to see if it's genuine or not. Uh, it's like, you know, passing boards for a medical doctor or anyone else. It's the, the main idea here is positive. Examining something to approve it. So how do we test the spirits in verses two and three? I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote. Uh, you've got the quote on your outline. He said, discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it's telling the difference between right and almost right. I think uh, everyone here knows who Charlie Chaplin is. Uh, he was in a silent movie film star, and, and uh, one of the byproducts of his popularity were look-alike contests that they would hold everywhere. They sprung up across the country, and they would p have people dress as he was dressed in the tramp, which is the way we've usually seen him with his cane. I should have gotten a Charlie Chaplin mustache and hat and tried to put it on. Uh, some of you, not everyone, if you're too young, you won't know this name, but uh, Bob Hope was an up-and-coming comedian who entered this contest and, and actually won in one of the locations. Uh, Charlie Chaplin heard himself heard there was a contest going on in San Francisco and decided that he would enter to see how he did in his own look-alike contest. And uh, he did that just for kicks, and he failed to make the finals. <laughs> oh, you know, that's, but I'll tell you what, just like those judges in that contest, it was in San Francisco where he did that, uh, didn't recognize the real thing when it was in front of him. Sometimes I think when the truth of God is staring us in the face, we don't recognize it. It's like what Mark Twain said. He said, it's not the scriptures and that I don't understand that bother me, it's the ones I do understand that bother me because I know I'm not applying them. I know I'm not living up to them. And so verse two, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Some people are ignorant. Some people don't understand. There are others of us who see the truth, but we willing reject it because of our sinfulness. And so that's why it's important to keep short account, short account with God. 
uh, always. And then verse 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So what are the tests? You've got, I've, I've written them down here on, on your outline because I want you to know the kinds of questions that you should be asking. And, and when you listen to any kind of teacher, what's being said about the God of the universe? Is the Lord praised and glorified and exalted, or is he mocked and derided? Uh, is God's authority questioned or ignored? What's being said about the word of God? Does the teaching come from God's word and is it in agreement with scripture? Does the teaching recognize the authority of the Bible and the fact that it is the word of God? Does the teaching encourage you to study the word and to put its truths into practice? What's being said about the Savior? Is Jesus recognized as the Son of God and the only Savior of mankind? Is Jesus magnified or is someone else magnified? Are you encouraged to put Christ first and follow him and do his will for your life? And you know what you can also listen for is what's being left out of what's being said. Sometimes false teachers can go on and on and on without ever mentioning Jesus. Also, what is being said about sin? Does it cause you to excuse sinfulness or tolerate it in your life? Does it make light of sin or the seriousness of it? Does it warn of the consequences of sin? Does it challenge you to live a holy life? False teachers will talk about how to make your life great, but they'll never talk about Christ's work on the cross or about what it's for, about our sin. And so are you encouraged to read and study your Bible? That's another question we could add. Or, or are they serious about you loving God and loving others? This will help bring clarity into a confusing world. And there's more, but those are a great place to start with those questions. You know, there's a group of, of students in entomology that were had a professor they loved and had a good relationship with, and they decided to um, create their own bug. And so they, they, they took apart all these insects and really carefully and meticulously put them together, and they were trying to fool their professor and see if they could kind of get one over on him. And so they, they made this bug that looked like some bug that had never been seen before. And they showed the professor and, and they said, can you identify this bug? And he was looking at it and looking at it and studying it and looking at it under uh, as, you know microscope or under a magnifying glass. And, and he said, I think I've got it. And the students were pretty giddy because they thought they'd pulled one over on their professor. And he said, it's a humbug. So the teaching of those who deny that the incarnation of Jesus Christ are nothing but humbug. They're not of God. They're the Antichrist. They're not of Christ. And so you've got this on your outline. One characteristic of every cult is that they deny that Jesus is God the Son. So that's the key question when you are talking to anyone in a cult, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, whatever it is, is not to say, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Because they'll answer yes. They do believe it. But if you phrase the question like this, do you believe that Jesus is God the Son? Which is what we mean when we say he's the Son of God. But if you phrase it that way, they'll say no, they don't, because they don't believe that. No matter what someone's religion or what cult they have been a part of, the only hope for anyone is in the Savior Jesus. It's in a relationship with him. Only that that truth will set you free. You will know the truth, Jesus said, about me 
and the truth will set you free. You know, prior to teaching at Gordon-Conwell, one of my professors, Dr. Christy Wilson, was the pastor of the uh, International Church in Tehran, Iran. And he uh, got a knock on the door one night, and there was a woman at the door that he ended up having come to our class in, uh, in Boston and, and teach us and share her testimony. So I heard her name is Bilky Sheik. And she came and knocked on Dr. Wilson's door and said, I was told in a dream to come to this home and that you would have a message for me. Her husband was the, she was from Pakistan. Her husband was the Pakistani ambassador to Iran. She knocks on Dr. Wilson's door. Dr. Wilson invites her in and leads her to faith in Christ. And it was, and so she wrote this book. If you want to read her testimony, it's in a book called I Dared to Call Him Father. And it's a a fascinating story. But um, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, what your religion, the only hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the world. You know, on the, on the side of the Dome of the Rock, um, which is uh, in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, are written these words in Arabic. God has no son. And ironically, the mosque faces the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was crucified and where he rose from the dead. And it's quite the contrast, if you think about it, that the word that God himself spoke to Jesus at his baptism with what was written on or what is written on Alaska, on the, on the Dome of the Rock, um, where Jesus said in Matthew 3, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God does have a son. God, the son, Jesus. And what you believe about Jesus what you believe about the Trinity, that we believe in God the, Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Every world religion, every cult denies that Jesus is God the Son who has come in the flesh. Verse two, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And it's necessary that Jesus was both fully God and fully man for our salvation. It's a non-negotiable. If you take away Christ's deity, then you've taken away the ability of him to live a sinless life. And if you take away his humanity, you take away the blood sacrifice that we just celebrated that was used to purchase our salvation. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, he wouldn't have blood to shed. So listen carefully to the one who's teaching. And the second thing that we as believers need to realize is that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse four, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. So the conflict between satanic forces and Christians will never cease until Jesus comes back. When God is doing a work through his people though, here on earth while we're here, Satan will raise up opposition. Always does it. We can count on it. And I love this verse because it's a promise. This is one you should memorize. It's the memory verse of the week. Uh, 
but it's, it's, it's a great promise that you can claim when the forces of evil all are, are all around you. Greater is the one who is in me than the one who is in the world. So Satan, I rebuke you. These evil forces stay away. What this means is that we have already overcome. It, this means that as Christians, we don't need to fear any, any antichrist, any false teaching. We don't need to fear it. That doesn't mean we need to sit under it and listen to it, but we don't need to fear it. The victory has been won and the victor dwells in us. Think about that. The victory has been won and the victor lives within us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. This is why John could assure the readers that they already possessed everything they needed to overcome the false prophets. That's what John's saying to them. The Holy Spirit would enable them and enables us to discern spiritual truth along with the word of God and to not be deceived by false teachers. And the word overcome here is nikeo in the Greek. And it means to carry off the victory. There were a couple guys in the Pacific Northwest that found that out and loved it and decided to name their tennis shoe company Nike. Ever heard of them? <laughs> we all have. Um, and, and you remember their slogan uh, from uh, maybe a few years ago, just do it? Well, that's perfect because we have the victory that John is telling us here because Jesus just did it. Uh, he did it for us. He gave his life on the cross that we can have eternal life, that we can have abundant life here because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We are overcomers because of Jesus who lives in us and through his Holy Spirit is greater than anything the world can throw at us. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And John says it later in 1 John chapter 5, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus. We have faith in something that's really solid. And what's sad is that there are so many Christians that go through life defeated and discouraged because they don't know this truth and they don't live it out in their lives. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So how are we to be overcomers? <clears throat> well, these principles, I think, will help us here. And these are not just from 1 John, but from other places as well in the New Testament. But uh, first of all, and you've got these on your outline, pray without ceasing. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 26. Nathan quoted it earlier when we were saying, when he was introducing a song, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to pray. Secondly, we study God's word daily. Uh, man shall not live by bread alone, it says in Matthew 4, Jesus said, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that means, how often do you eat? Do you eat just once a week? I doubt it. Uh, we eat three times a day, generally, something like that. But we need to eat the word of God regularly. Uh, <clears throat> I've referred to it a few weeks ago. Uh, there's a, a book called Eat This Book about eating the word from the passage in Jeremiah. Um, we've already mentioned the Bereans. What a great example they were. Paul says this to, the, uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Study to show yourself approved to God. 
a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do you know how to rightly handle the word of truth? Man, we have a lot of opportunities. There are no excuses because we've got women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and small groups and home fellowships because we want to help you do that. Number three, seek to live a life of purity. Seek to live a life of purity. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, at the inception of Apple computers, uh, there were three men. There were Steve Jobs, who was 20, Steve Wozniak, who was 25, and a guy named Ronald Wayne. I've seen his name before, but I, I don't really know who that is. Um, but two weeks after the trio founded their company and decided to call it Apple, Wayne opted to sell his 10% stake in Apple for $800. That same stake today would be worth $250 billion and it would make him one of the 10 richest people in the world. (laughs) Well, not all of our choices are that significant, uh, but the story does signal a message for us to give careful thought to the decisions we make to where our mind goes. We need to, 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 to seek to live a pure life. We take every thought captive to Christ. I'll tell you what the best way to do that, scripture memory, hiding God's word in your heart. Proverbs says it like this, Solomon wrote in Proverbs, uh, don't do as the wicked do and don't follow the path of evildoers. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. And so some choices can be very costly. And and God warns us to avoid wicked living. Someone said, if you look down the barrel of temptation, Satan will pull the trigger. So just avoid it. Run from it. Number four, share the gospel with the lost. That's the Great Commission. If you've been coming to the missions course, you've been hearing how we do that, how our missionaries do that. But not only our missionaries have that responsibility, we have that responsibility to do evangelism right here, right now with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family. Matthew 5.16, let your light, let your good deeds, let your light shine before others so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We want to be a reflection of, of like, like the moon reflects the sun. We want to reflect the Lord Jesus to other people. And a life of obedience means that we're going to pray for our unbelieving friends. What we're going to share with them at the same time. And then finally, submit to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? And again, in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So part of making Jesus your master involves not comparing yourselves with others. Uh, I saw an article this last week about a woman who discovered what she said was the key to housework. She said when she was getting ready to clean her house, she instead put on an episode of Hoarders, and she said, I don't even need to clean my house. It's perfect. And she wouldn't clean. She didn't lift a finger. Um, Well, I think sometimes as Christians, we make the same mistake when we compare our behavior to the wrong behavior of other people. Sometimes that just lowers our standards. It, it, it excuses our sin, and that's not what we want to do. It's good and definitely doesn't please. It's not good and doesn't please God 
when we start excusing our sin by looking at other people, excusing our wrong. I, I also heard of a, some gal who was giving policemen excuse for using a, a handicap placard that wasn't hers. And she said, well, I'm doing it in honor of my grandmother. <laughs> what? You know, Paul says, don't compare yourselves to other people. Don't excuse your sin. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, we do not dare to compare ourselves uh, with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So number three, this is how we discern truth versus error. Um, Those who are spiritually blind look at life and they say, this is all there is. What I see is all there is to reality. Whereas Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. Let's read it out loud together. It's on your outline. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. That's it. That's our philosophy of life. That's our worldview right there. And then verse 5, they are from this world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. And the words they and them here at the beginning and the end of verse 5 are talking about anyone who speaks from a worldly point of view and who chooses to leave God out of whether it's academics or religion or culture or politics or philosophy, finance, anything, whatever it is. And so when we as Christians dare to speak out against the world, you know what the world says about us? The world says about us, you're ignorant, you're narrow-minded, you're mean-spirited, you're hateful, you're dangerous. That's what the world says to us. And if it was an us against them, we would lose every time. But it's not us against them. It is a conflict that uh, that is them against God. That's the spiritual conflict. That's what we believe. And we know that we have the victory because the victor, the, we have the victory because the victor lives in us. And so the key to discerning God's truth, you've got next on your outline, follow the truth of God's word. Verse six, we are from God and whoever knows God and listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. <clears throat> Jesus said it like this in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then when John says in verse 6 that whoever knows God listens to us, he's referring to the apostles. And today we listen, quote unquote, to the apostles as we devote our lives uh, fully and unconditionally to the inspired words that we find in the word of God. That's what we need to invest our lives in.